Good morning, Servants Church. Good to see you. It's great to, to be here again. Looking forward to, to sharing with you from 1 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have a Bible or electronic device, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. So it's 1 Timothy 1 verses 12 to 17. Let me read that and then I'll pray and we'll get into it together. Paul's writing and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his, perf his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father, we do say amen to that. And we ask that you would make yourself known to us as we get into your word, that you would help us to both understand and apply the grace that you've given to us through Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone who listens to this, who doesn't yet know you personally, doesn't yet know your grace, hasn't applied it to their life. We pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And I pray for us who have known you maybe for a long time, maybe for a short time, that you would help us to walk in grace and to rightly apply what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray your Holy Spirit would enable us to do this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I hope you guys have been enjoying the servant stories, testimonies that we've been putting up online. One of the things that's interesting about seeing different people's stories, especially their stories about how Jesus came into their life, is they all have one theme in common. And that theme in common is grace. Now, grace is one of these kind of churchy words that we use a lot. And when it's not used in a kind of church setting, grace usually uh, has the idea of someone who's gracious, they're being kind to somebody, or someone who's graceful, someone who, who has a lot of beauty and poise in the way they present themselves. But grace in a biblical sense is this idea of how God saves us. In fact, let me read to you a very famous verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So when we're talking about grace, and as we're seeing in the book of Timothy, what the priorities of the early church need to be, what the priorities of the local church need to be, we are talking about grace as uh, God's choosing to smile on us and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, understanding what that grace is and knowing how to apply that grace needs to be a priority for every single person who names the name of Jesus. For every aspect of the body of Christ, we all need to make sure that we're recognizing this priority of, of receiving God's grace. So we're gonna look at this in two ways from Paul's own story. Really in this section, Paul in a sense is putting himself forward as an example of one who's received grace. And in looking at Paul's own servant story, you might say, we're gonna both hopefully get an understanding of what God's grace is 
and, and also know how to properly apply God's grace. So let's look at that. First, let's make sure that we see how grace needs to be properly understood, starting in verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul was one who saw grace, he understood grace as, as coming exclusively through Jesus, through the merits of Jesus. Now, John the Apostle said something similar in John chapter 1, where he says, And from Christ's fullness we have all received, and I love this phrase, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the mindset of the, the first followers of Jesus, the apostles, including Paul, was that grace comes exclusively through Jesus, okay? This unmerited favor, this God choosing to smile on us, is shown and given to us only in Jesus. But then he goes on to say in, in verse 12, Paul goes on to say, <clears throat> that Jesus judged him faithful, appointing him uh, uh, to appointing me to his service, Paul writes. Now, Understand this, when, when Paul's talking about faithfulness, he's connecting this to the fact that, that Christ had given him strength. In other words, the way he was able to be faithful to the gospel was through Christ who graciously gave him the strength to be faithful to the gospel. But also this is Paul talking about the fact that he understood grace as enabling him to serve Jesus. Now in Paul's case, that specifically include, included him being an apostle, but this is bigger than just like some sort of ministry position. This is an idea of serving Jesus as Lord, recognizing that He is Lord over all, and we serve Him. We should follow Him. Now, we're servants' church, and so we know that Jesus came to serve us. He is the servant, and the church belongs to Him, hence our name, Servants' Church. But He serves us that we might learn who He is, and we might follow Him by serving Him. And Paul saw grace as enabling him to do that, to serve God. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Notice how he identifies himself in grace. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Did you see that? Paul sees God's grace as not just what puts him into a right relationship with God, but enables him to serve God, to serve Christ with his whole heart. God's enabling to do that. That's how Paul understood grace. Now look at verse 13. In the first part of verse 13, Paul says, uh, though he, he, uh, Paul, Paul says who he formerly was. Notice he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, he spoke against Jesus, a persecutor. He persecuted those who wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, uh, he says, and an insolent opponent. In other words, he actually was violent towards those who wanted to follow Jesus. Now here Paul's crediting grace with changing his identifying behavior. We just read in 1 Corinthians where he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. But here he's talking about the fact of what I was, what he was. He says, I'm not this anymore. I'm no longer a blasphemer or, or, or a persecutor or an insolent opponent of the gospel. Paul sees that God's grace changed him, is transforming him. And this wasn't just how Paul saw grace for himself. This is how Paul saw grace for every believer. Listen to this, is what he, what he writes earlier in 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
After listing sort of all kinds of sins or, or the types of sinners that we can be, Paul says, and such were some of you, past tense, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you see that? God's grace changes people. When we understand what God's grace is and we apply God's grace to our life, we are changed by God's grace. It's not us that change ourselves. It wasn't Paul who changed himself. Paul credits the grace for changing his identifying behavior. Next, Paul, Paul connects grace with God's compassion. Look at also verse 13. Paul says, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, Paul here is not saying that his Ignorance was an excuse. Paul's not claiming or he's not claiming innocence here. He's claiming blindness. Paul's not saying, oh well, God says, well, it's not really his fault, and therefore I'll help him. That's not what, what's, what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is Paul can't help himself. Paul's blind to, to the truth of who I am. Therefore, I'm going to radically interrupt his life and show him he needs to know who I am and he needs to stop persecuting me. In fact, from Paul's own words of his own story. Listen to this in Acts chapter 9. It says, Falling to the ground, he, that's Paul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And see, see, Paul thought he knew who Jesus was. Paul thought he understood the historical Jesus and, and, and what his followers were about. But it wasn't until God literally knocks him off his high horse and shows him how blind he is that he recognizes in persecuting the Jesus followers, he was persecuting the Messiah, God's chosen king. He was persecuting God the Son. And so here's what he's talking about. He's saying God in his compassion towards his blindness opened his eyes to who Jesus is. That's what grace does. If you see Jesus the right way, if you recognize that you need Jesus to save you, that is God's grace to you. It's not just God offering God's grace to you. It's God gracing you by opening your eyes to who Jesus is. This is what Paul sees. Now, lastly, in this first point, Paul saw grace as both producing and motivating both faith and love. Look at verse 14. Again, Paul says, um, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this because... We just read, didn't we, in the very beginning, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where Paul writes um, uh, that we were saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, not just the saving, but the faith itself. Do, do you realize, again, if you believe in Jesus, if you've said, yes, I have to put my confidence in Jesus, it's because of God's gracious work in you? That's, that's, that's what the Bible teaches. It's God's work in you that brings you to a place of faith. And I want you to know, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this this morning, and, and you're still not sure where you stand with Jesus, but you're beginning to feel like, I think I need to put my faith in Jesus, that is God's grace to you. God is showing you your need for Jesus, and he wants to give you the faith to believe. 
Now, again, I love this phrase overflowed that Paul uses here, overflowing, the God's grace overflowing. I love this because when I think of overflowing, I think of two things. When I think of, uh, of Psalm 23, my cup overflows, the fact that God kind of gives abundantly more than we, we need, he provides for us. I love that idea. But I also love this, this picture that I've, I've heard so many times about overflowing. And this, that's this picture of a river, specifically the Nile River overflowing. We think of rivers overflowing and its disaster and, and flooding and damage. But actually, in, in, in earlier days and, and often uh, many parts of the world even today, when a river overflows, when the rains come and the snows fall on the mountains and then the snows melt and then the rivers swell up and they overflow their banks, that's often how peoples will water their crops. So in other words, the idea is they've kind of done the hard work or they've kind of prepared the ground. And when the ground's prepared and the seeds are planted, they're waiting for that overflow of the river to actually bring life to that which was planted. And I love that picture because in a very real way, this is what God's doing. As we we put ourselves before him and say, God, here we are. Break up the hardness of our hearts, the hard ground of our hearts. Here we are. Plant the seeds of Jesus into our hearts then that overflow of grace comes by his Holy Spirit and life is produced. Faith and love toward God and toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we have to understand about grace. We need to come to the same understanding of grace that Paul had. This is Paul's point in sharing his story is to make sure that his readers would be brought back to this place. Let's not forget that Paul is contrasting this truth about what grace is with what the false teachers were talking about with the law. If you remember from last week, we talked about how the law is wrongly used in two ways. One is, uh, uh, is, is um, liberalism and one is legalism. Both of those things keep us from understanding and receiving the grace of God. But Paul's contrasting a wrong use with the law with a right use, which is bringing us to a place where we recognize how desperate we are for the grace of God. And Paul, in experiencing the grace of God, does this. So so make sure you're following along with this. You should hopefully have a handout that you can get online. But just to review, Paul understood grace as coming exclusively through Jesus, as, as enabling him to serve Jesus, as changing his identifying behavior, as connected with God's compassion, and as producing and motivating both faith and love. This is God choosing to smile on us and enable us to believe and do for ourselves what we can't, or or do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Do you understand grace that way? God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved work in our life. God initiates every good thing in our life. God gives us every good thing in our life. And when it comes for us, to us being in a right relationship with Him, of of living for for what we've been created to live for, that is living for Him, that's all a work of His grace. Now, understanding God's grace, though, isn't enough. We also need to be willing to apply God's grace, especially for those of us who have come to realize that we're saved by grace. We also need to learn how to walk by grace, how to actually apply it to our lives. So so let's talk about how grace is properly applied. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul writes, this, is, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul uses this phrase throughout what we call the pastoral epistles. That's 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. 
And in a sense, it's a phrase that means this is a trustworthy revelation that I'm speaking to you in apostolic authority. So Paul's kind of saying, listen up, believe this as gospel truth, so to speak. Paul says this in verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying full of, uh, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Man, if you don't get anything else, please stay with me for the next few minutes as we talk about this verse, unpacking this verse. See, when we talk about grace needing to be properly applied, that is, we need to apply grace as God's provision for all sinners. Listen, he's saying, here's the trustworthy saying, Christ came into this world. That means he preexisted, he's God the Son. But he came in this world for a specific purpose, that is to save sinners. This is important because identifying ourselves, seeing ourselves as sinners is one of the first indications that we are recognizing both who God is and how much we need him. It's us recognizing we're sinners. And this is the part of the gospel, the good news, that is quite offensive to us. We don't want to think we're sinners. Oh, we would agree we're less than perfect, but sinners, that sounds a bit harsh. But, but listen to this. Jesus talks about when, when Jesus was being questioned for the friends he chose, for the people that he hung out with, for the sinners that he hung out with. Here's, here's what he says to the religious people that question him. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, we see where Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he challenges them. Listen, he says this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what what Jesus is doing there in in confronting the religious leaders is he's saying, listen, do you even know your own scriptures? You're, you're, You're frustrated with me because I'm spending my time with sinful people. But the problem was, you're blind to your own sinfulness. See, what he's quoting there when he says, go and see what this means, I desire mercy and and not sacrifice. Um, He's quoting the book of Hosea, the Old Testament book of Hosea. And what he's wanting them to see is, look, in Hosea's day, uh, God had sent Hosea the prophet to to Israel, his chosen people, to say, listen, you, you say you belong to me, but then you're as unfaithful to me as an unfaithful wife is to someone else. In fact, Hosea was commanded to marry someone who who went into prostitution as his wife. And and it was unfaithful to him as a picture to the nation of Israel of how unfaithful they had been to God. And so in that context, God says to him, look, I I don't desire your sacrifices. I don't want you just to feel guilty and come sacrifice animals to me. I want you to know mercy. I want you to know that the Hebrew word is kased. It's this idea of, of God's covenantal love. I want you to know that. I don't need your sacrifices. I want you to know and cling to this covenantal love I'm showing you. And so Jesus is basically in a sense saying, don't you realize how desperate you are for this mercy? He's saying to his religious people that are questioning him, eating with sinners, don't you realize how much of a sinner you yourself are? Now, don't underestimate, don't underestimate how, how easy it is for all of us to be like these religious people. How easy it is for all of us to not want to believe that we're, sin, that we're sinners. And it's not just people that are religious that can be this way. 
You might be watching this today and you might still be kind of a secularist. You might be someone who's not even sure if there is a God. And so you, you don't like the term sinner because it feels too accusatory. And so really, in a sense, what you want to do is say, I don't think I'm that bad. I think I do bad things and I do good things like everybody else. And you don't want to see yourself in desperate need for mercy. But Jesus is saying this is a prerequisite. He's saying this is actually evidence of God's grace to you is that you recognize how desperate you need. In fact, listen to this. Jesus says that we're not just sinners, but he came not just to find people that were sinners, but find people that know that they're lost sinners. Listen to this. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you recognize you're lost? This is the funny thing about being lost, is oftentimes we can be lost and be so stubborn, we don't want to admit this. Men, when you drive, you know what I'm talking about, Right? That's why we don't like looking at maps. We don't want to admit that we're lost. We, we, we are sure we have a keen sense of direction. I say right now publicly, my wife has a much better sense of direction than I do. The truth is, the, 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 one of the most important parts about getting found is admitting that you're lost. And this is what Jesus is saying. He came to seek and save those that were lost. Now, this is something that we see all throughout the scripture, this idea of us, the more that we see Jesus for who he is and we know Jesus for who he is, the more we recognize our lostness and our need for him to save us. That this is part of applying the grace of God is recognizing that it's God's provision for us as sinners. We see this really illustrated well in in the life of the prophet Isaiah. So if you read the first five chapter, chapters of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, you'll see that Isaiah the prophet is, is going around and pronouncing woes to the nation of Israel. And he's, he's not saying anything that's not true when he says, woe to you that you do this and woe to you that you don't do that. He's saying things that are true about Israel, but his message tends to be woe to you. And then we get to chapter six and here's what we read. Listen to this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he has this vision of God. And he, and he says, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to understand something. That Jesus in his ministry didn't go around trying to make people feel bad. But he lived in such a way. His, his life was so about being, bringing pleasure to the Father, doing God's will, expressing the authority and goodness of God in, in his creation. He did this in such a way that it exposed people's sinfulness. We see this over and over again. We see this when he he says to Peter, after Peter, the professional fisherman, had fished all night and caught nothing, he says to Peter, Peter, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Peter says, Lord, okay, you're a preacher, I'm a fisherman. But then he says, okay, I'll do it. At your word, and he casts his net, and he he gets this huge harvest of fish, so heavy the boat almost begins to sink. And what does Peter say when Jesus does this? When Jesus shows that he's God in the flesh, that he is the the authority of God and the power of God displayed in human form. What does he do? Peter says to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus wasn't trying to say, you're an idiot, Peter. (laughs) Though Peter was an idiot like we are. Jesus was trying to say, don't you know who I am? 
Because when we see God as he is, you know what we recognize? Man, our only hope is his grace, is that God gives us grace. What's interesting, going back to now to Timothy, what's interesting about what Paul says here is Paul doesn't just say that Christ came in the world to save sinners. He says Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, in one sense, Paul probably means the fact that the sins that he was involved in as a blasphemer and a persecutor were sins that were actually done uh, to keep other people uh, from coming to faith in Christ. That's a big deal. So that's probably some of the indication there. But also what we can see from Paul's own writings is how as he, he grew in his knowledge of Jesus, as he grew in his dependence upon the, the grace that was shown in Jesus, he also was growing in humility. Listen to this. <clears throat> Again, 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, one of the first letters Paul wrote, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul recognized that though he was an apostle and he wasn't afraid to use that authority, he saw himself as the least of the apostles. He, he knew his own sinfulness. But then later on in Ephesians chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, to me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now here we have him in 1 Timothy toward the, the latter part of his ministry. He doesn't just say, I'm the least of the apostles or I'm the least of all the saints. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. So this is not a false humility or Paul sort of being down on himself. This is Paul recognizing who he is in light of who Jesus is. Guys, this is so healthy for us. Because we need to see grace as God's provision for all sinners. See, we need to see grace like this so that we will apply it to our lives. That God's given us grace so that when we fail, and we do fail time and time again, when we see how good God is and we recognize how far we fall short of that, that we go back to grace time and time again. There's three people uh, who might be listening to this or watching this today, and, and I want to kind of describe these three people. One might be the lost sinner. And the lost sinner would say, oh, I don't know that if I'm gonna, I, I don't know if I'll be in heaven because I'm just too sinful. Another person who might be watching this is what we might call the religious sinner. The religious sinner would be the person who says, well, I don't know if I'm going to be in heaven, but I think I probably would be. I think I'm a pretty good person. And then there is the person that Paul's talking about. The person the scripture talks about, that's the saved sinner. And the saved sinner says, I know I shouldn't be in heaven, but I know I will be because of Christ alone, because of his grace. Can you see the difference? Now, this is what we have to understand when it comes to applying God's grace. We see it as God's provision for all sinners. But also, listen, we see it as our motivation for saving faith. Look what Paul does in verse 16. Paul says, But I received, the, the, I received mercy for this reason, that is, in me as the foremost, that's the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, do you see what Paul's doing? Paul is holding up his life, his salvation, 
as, as, as an example. He's saying, listen, if you need a reason to trust Jesus, look at me. If Jesus could be patient with me and I was persecuting his people, I was blaspheming him, I was wanting to see people not believe in Jesus. If he can show mercy and grace to me, he can show grace to you. This is what Paul said. Now this is really important for us to understand and I want to specifically now <clears throat> talk with you who are already Jesus followers. You do know the grace of God. Because here's what we can do. One of the mistakes we can do is we can know that we're saved by grace, but we can act like we're saved by our works. And so what can happen with that is we can tell people, yes, I'm saved by grace. This is the only way any of us can be saved by grace. But we're living frantically as if everything depends upon us. You know what we're doing? We are preaching the right gospel, but people are hearing and seeing a false gospel. In other words, what's happening is we might say to people, you need to trust in God's grace, but what they're hearing when they watch our lives is a false gospel like, well, I guess God likes religious people better. Or, or maybe what we're doing is we're, we're preaching the gospel of grace, but we're not letting grace change us. And so really what they're hearing and seeing is, well, God gave me a free ticket to sin. Both those things are false gospels. See, what God's calling us to, listen, he's calling us to live and believe a gospel of grace. That we would, we would, this would be our motivation for saving faith. We would trust Jesus for every aspect of our life because he's so trustworthy. He's so infinitely patient with us. He's done all that needs to be done to provide transformation for, for us from the inside out. And he's bringing that to pass through his Holy Spirit. This is how we apply God's grace. How we properly apply it. It's our motivation to keep trusting him to be saving us until the day we see him face to face. Now Paul ends this whole section with what we call a doxology. It's like he's just busting out in praise to God. Here's what he says. Verse 17. He says, Now to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this. Because one of the ways we need to properly apply God's grace is we need to see it as God's worthiness on display. See, God is who he is. God's always been and will always be who he is. And all the goodness that we see in Jesus is not who God became, it's who God is. It's his character. So when Paul uh, talks about this great grace that he has received as an example for anybody else who needs grace, which is the rest of us. Paul can't help but worship this God whom he rightly calls the King of Ages. You see, we know God rules forever because of the grace that came through Jesus. He calls him the God who's immortal or incorruptible, you might say. And we know that the grace that we have in Christ is incorruptible because of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And he also calls him uh, the God who's invisible. And I love this. Because what, here's what I love about this. is because even though none of us can see God, God's too big for us to see. He's too, he's too beyond the, the, the scope of our sinful eyes to, to take in. We can see the invisible God in a sense through Jesus Christ, through the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Grace. Guys, this is what should move us to 
worship. I want to close with a parable that Jesus told. And I want to read this parable. I mean, just read this parable. It's really easy to understand. And I want you to, 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 as I read this parable, and then I'll just close this in prayer, is I want you to think about just two questions. I want you to be able to answer these two questions in your heart of hearts. The first question is this. Do you understand grace properly? See, if you're seeing grace as just that kind of gives you a second chance and now the rest is up to you, you don't understand grace. How extensive and amazing and sufficient God's grace is for you. But also, are you applying God's grace? Is it just kind of this concept that's nice to know about that you kind of maybe pull out of the, pull off the bookshelf occasionally to make yourself feel better? Or is grace how you're living your life? By applying God's grace. Listen to this. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the, into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Father, I pray that everyone who sees this would humble themselves before you, would acknowledge that you and you alone are holy, that there's none like you, that you're perfect and right in all your ways and all your judgments, that every good gift comes from you, Lord, and we acknowledge that, and that, Lord, they would humble themselves, we would humble ourselves, and, and acknowledge, Lord, we've been so slow to give you thanks. And we are so worthy of your righteous anger and of your judgment. But, Lord, we acknowledge, we humble ourselves and say we acknowledge that grace came through Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you would Save us. Have mercy on us sinners, Lord. We believe that, that what Jesus did for us on the cross was enough to pay for our sin. And that what he did through his resurrection and his ascension was enough to give us new life, to give us righteousness and strength and to change us from the inside out. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would humbly, you, we ask humbly that you would change us and Father, I pray for anyone here who, who's watching this who doesn't yet know you. I pray they would cry out for salvation. They would ask you for forgiveness. They would say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they would believe that what Jesus did for them was enough. And you would graciously grant them salvation. Would you give them that new life in Christ? Please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you received Christ today, if you've applied grace to your life, 
uh, either for the first time or in a new way. Would you let us know? We want to be praying for you. Thanks so much for coming in, and we, uh, we hope to see you all soon. God bless.